Let us love because it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> yes, Valentine's Day where we express our love through candy, cards, and flowers. And I suppose power tools for the guys. Or is that Father's Day? I get them mixed up. <laughs> anyway, does the love promoted by Valentine's Day know anything of the love of God? Is that what it presents? I doubt that there are many Hallmark cards out there that speak of the life-giving and even sacrificial love of God. Maybe there are a few cards that attempt to express this love, but the love that most Valentine cards express would be called phileo love, uh, familial or relational type love. Uh, the kind you would send your friends or family members or people you appreciate. Or, or maybe even eros, which is uh, the intimate love between husband and wife. The love that John speaks about, though, throughout our text this morning is agape love. Agape love. It is the love of God. And it is unique compared to the love of man. Let's look at God's Word. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Dear friends, and remember that whenever he uses the word love, that is agape in the Greek. He's talking about God's love, okay? So dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice <clears throat> for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask now for your spirit to instruct our hearts. Lord, give us the ability to receive your word and for it to flourish within our hearts and within our minds, teaching us, Lord, and leading us that we might do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said before, this entire passage of Scripture is about the love of God, the agape love of God. Agape love is the joy of giving it's the joy of giving. It is love that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And the reason it always perseveres is because it's whose love? It's God's love. God's love. Let me start with a familiar illustration to show forth this love. Many years ago at the gateway to heaven... There was a unique inquiry made by a man who had just died. So he had just arrived there. He had lived a godly life, trusting in Jesus Christ, and was therefore pleased to find himself through the grace of God in front of the pearly gates, ready to ascend into the light and love of God's kingdom. 
Yet there was a thought that still disturbed him, and he was unable to remove it from himself. He couldn't hide it. The gatekeeper, being acutely observant, noticed uh, the troubled appearance on his face and asked him, what's the issue? It seems like something is still bothering you when you're right at the gates of heaven. The man replied, he said, I find myself wondering what hell is like. Well, I am eternally grateful to be here. The thought of anyone suffering for all eternity kind of eats at my soul. Would God be so vengeful? You may be surprised, the gatekeeper smiled. As with all great truths, it is not as simple as you suppose, and yet also far simpler. Let me show you. The wave of his arm, they were off. They found themselves at the gateway to hell. To the deceased surprise, to this man's surprise, it was nearly identical to the entrance of heaven. He could suddenly smell an array of delicious foods and hear the din of cutlery. The gatekeeper led him through, the doors opening onto a scene of opulent beauty. It was an enormous banquet hall, so wide and so long that there were no walls to be seen. Only immense pillars with intricate carvings descending into the distance and climbing to an unseen ceiling that had a canopy of clouds. Chandeliers hung over all the ancient tables, casting a warm glow on those who were dining, who were too numerous to count. The most beautiful ethereal music wafted in to the room. And the smell of the food was so mouth-watering that he could nearly taste it. This is hell? The man asked with his mouth open, like, really? This is hell? Yes, quite, the gatekeeper said. This is hell. It's not what it seems. Take a closer look. So the man did so, examining the tables with a little more scrutiny. Suddenly he noticed something that disturbed him. The cutlery was not separate from the guests, but actually extensions of them coming out of their their lower arms. And it was so long, whether it was a knife, a spoon, or a fork, it was so long that they could not feed themselves. They couldn't get the food into their mouths. With dawning horror, he began to realize the scope of the situation. They were starving. They were in agony, surrounded by a feast fit for kings and unable to get any of it into their mouths, only growing hungrier day after day, yet continuing to toil helplessly. He could hear their moans and groans and cries. He could feel the desperation and hopelessness of the situation as it continued on into infinity. He shivered. Oh, I've seen enough. Please take me away. Let's go back to heaven. So with the wave of his hand, the angel took him back to heaven and immediately they were there back at the gates. Okay, he said, I'm ready. To, can we please go in? He followed the gatekeeper across the threshold and into heaven. To his astonishment, it was the exact same scene. The giant banquet hall, the music, the food, and worst of all, the cutlery as appendages. He looked down at his own arms, and his lower arms became a fork and a knife, too long for him to feed himself. 
He was filled with disgust and was about to cry out as momentarily he thought heaven and hell were no different at all from each other. When the gatekeeper grabbed him on the shoulder and squeezed it a little bit and said, calm yourself. Take a closer look. So he did. Looking up, he suddenly saw or noticed that the mood of the people was in complete contrast to those in hell. There was a nearly palpable atmosphere of love, sharing, camaraderie, and delight that permeated the entire hall. Noticing this, he could suddenly feel it beginning to well up within his own heart as well. Tears filled his eyes as he understood the difference between the two places. Everyone everywhere was dining merrily, their faces bright and rosy, creased with laughter and warm with joy. Their bellies were filled and their eyes shone with life. They were partaking in every aspect of the feast. How? What was the difference? They were feeding each other. They were serving each other. They were agape, loving each other. The Apostle Paul in Acts 20, verse 35, notes something that Jesus would say often. So often that they never even wrote it down in Scripture. He noted Jesus is saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the love of God. The metaphor of the two banquet halls reveals the difference between the love or even lust of this fallen world and God's love. It is the difference between those who seek to serve themselves and those who strive to serve others. Just imagine what this world would be like if all of us, all of us, sought to treat others better than ourselves. What would this world be like? This is the kind of love that was in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and the Lord and all of creation before the fall. There was no guile or deceit in the Garden of Eden and I have long pondered, not only as a student but as a pastor, I have long pondered why Adam was not more suspicious, more on guard when Eve was being tempted by the serpent. Adam knew that he was supposed to be careful with the creation God had given him, with his relationship with his wife, with his relationship with God. He knew that he was to be careful with it, that he needed to protect it and preserve it. And I think he knew that God meant business when he says, if you eat from that forbidden fruit, you will die. So why was Adam duped? Well, deception or guile was something new to Adam and Eve. And deception is not something easily understood until it is experienced. Deception is not something easily understood until it is experienced. What is the purpose of deception? Is it not to betray betray trust? Is it to betray in order to ensnare or try to gain an advantage over someone. 
Is that not one of the many purposes, I guess, of deception? One only need to read in Genesis 3 to see that the man betrayed the trust God placed in him, the woman betrayed the trust her husband placed in her, and the serpent betrayed the trust the woman placed in him. Envision God making this world. The first five days of creation. God is putting this world together. He's he's putting the expanses in place, the stars in their place. So he's not just making this earth, he's putting it in its proper place in the solar system. He's putting it in its proper place in the solar system in the Milky Way. He's placing it in its proper place in the cosmos. And then he brings all this life onto this earth for man, for mankind. And then God entrusts it to man. He says, I want you to rule this world in my place. It is for you that I'm making all these things so that you might know my glory, my love for you. And then man betrays God's trust. He gives it all to him to cultivate it and keep it. And man betrays God's trust. I remember talking with a secular co-worker a long time ago when I worked at the Maytag company. And uh, we would talk about some of the problems of the world and so on. You know how conversations go. And he piped up one time. He said, I, I can tell you, Doug, what, what's wrong with this world? So well, what's wrong? We're what's wrong with this world. So what do you mean by that? He said, we are what's wrong with this world. If there were no people on this world, it would be better off. That kind of took me back a little bit because I thought he saw his own life as being rather important. I saw my life as being important, but I think I understood that he was inadvertently addressing what Paul was saying in Romans 8. How the creation was subjected to futility because of man's sin and it waits to be freed from the resulting corruption. That we are the problem. But through God's grace, we can also be the solution. In the beginning, before the fall of mankind, though, the man, Adam, trusted God. He trusted and loved his wife, Eve. There was harmony between man and God and creation. And this deception by the devil working through the serpent was something foreign. It was something new to him that he didn't understand. And the question then comes to bear, who do you trust? The creature or the creator? Is that not the same question we still wrestle with today? Who do you trust? Creation or creator? You trust a materialistic worldview? Or do you you trust a theistic worldview? Who do you trust? God or man? Eve trusted the counsel of this creature, likely in the sense that he is offering her a hidden treasure that God wanted them to figure out later on. After all, the serpent was the most cunning of all God's creatures in the land. So don't you want to know what the fruit will really do for you, Eve? Don't you want to know? It's like Pandora's box, you know? Pandora, don't you really want to know what's in the box? Well, I'd kind of like to know. Don't you really want to know? If you want to know, you've got to open it. If you want to know what this is really like, you have to experience it. You can't just look at it from afar. 
just got to try it. Think about how tempting that is to us. When someone tells us, you're not going to really know what this is like unless you experience it. How do we respond to that temptation? Deceitfulness and destruction, even death, go hand in hand. If you look at the Ten Commandments, what do they deal with? Deceitfulness and destruction. It deals with how relationships can be destroyed, leading to the death of those relationships. If you look at human history, uh, Jesus says in John chapter 8 that Satan was a deceiver and murderer from the beginning. Think about how many relationships are destroyed through deceit. How are marriages ruined? Why do communities and people bicker and fight? Why do nations war against each other? Is it not because there is no trust? Instead of the sacrificial love of asking what you can do for your country, it is the selfish love of asking what your country can do for you. It's all about my rights, what I'm entitled to, what I want, my focus, me. Think about how that works in relationships when we are selfish, asking others to please us and not being willing to help them at all. Think about where we're at as a country today. Are we a divided country? Why? At the heart of love, there is trust. At the heart of love, there is trust. Those at the banquet table were willing to serve each other because they trust that they will be served in this unbroken fellowship of love. They willingly give to others, trusting that they will give to them. The people who are sitting around the banquet table understand what is at the heart of love, and that again is trust, faith. Is that not the lesson and the reason Jesus would go to the cross to give his life as a ransom for our sin, to pay for our sins, trusting that his heavenly Father would raise his life up again from the grave? If you look at John chapter 17 with Jesus' high priestly prayer, he was trusting his heavenly Father to give back to him the glory he had before he came into this world. Is this not why we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, believing that even though we die, yet shall we live? Because God through Jesus Christ will restore our life back to us even without the corruption that has come through the curse through sin and through death, through our own making? Will we be raised incorruptible? But make no mistake here, the love that we're talking about is not reciprocal love. It's not that we love God and God loves us back in return. John says God loved us. We despised God. We hated God. We betrayed God. He's the one who came first to us. Not only did He give us our lives and the blessings of this world, the blessings of family, the blessings of relationship, all these many blessings in this world, we were the ones who rose up against Him in rebellion and betrayed Him, and yet He came to us again out of love. 
to offer His Son as a sacrifice for our sin. To pay the penalty for our rebellion. That's what John says here in verses 9-10. through And I want you to notice verse 8 here. He says, Whoever does not agape love, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. John is not saying that these people don't know what love is. They know what human love is. They know what filial love or family, fellowship type love is. They know how to love maybe some of their friends. They know how to love family members. They know the intimate sense of love. They know these kinds of love that are, are, are of the world, but they don't know God's love. That's what he's addressing here. Verse 7, everyone who loves, agape love, has been born of God, born of the Holy Spirit, and knows God relationally, not simple, simply intellectually, because God's love is what's in them. Not just the love of this world, but the love of God. And in verse 8, or verses 9 through 10, he shows us what God's love is. He sent his one and only Son into the world that he might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he, he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. God's love initiates and brings the words of life to those who will receive them. I could write a dozen more sermons on these two verses alone. Probably more than that. It's kind of like the song that we often sing. Could we, uh, could, could we with the ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk of earth on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry nor could the scroll contain the whole through those stretched from sky to sky. We could write and write and write and write about God's love because it's so amazing. It's so awesome. John is saying after God gave us our lives and this world and all the blessings of creation in it, we betrayed Him. We betrayed God's trust by worshiping and serving the creature over the Creator. Yet God in His agape love laid our iniquity, our betrayal, our rebellion on His Son. In our place, He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins. He gave His beloved Son, the Holy One of Israel, as an offering to atone for, to extinguish the guilt incurred by sin. Verses 11 through 12, dear friends, since God so loved us, agape love, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, this agape love, if we love one another, as we see in the banquet hall of heaven, if we love one another in this way, his love is made complete in us. I was reading through this and working on this, and I was thinking, I, John has in mind here the conversation Jesus had with Peter. After the resurrection, it was the third time he had presented himself there. You can turn there if you want. It's John chapter 21, verses 15 and following. This is after Jesus had, or Peter had denied Jesus. He had betrayed Jesus' trust. At one point, Peter said, you know what? This is before the crucifixion. Even if all the other disciples fall away, I will not. 
I will follow you unto death. I will give my life for you. And Jesus looks at him and says, I know you want to, but you don't have the power because you're working out of human love. I will show you God's love. We remember that when Jesus took the elements, it was the night that he was betrayed, not just by Peter, by all of his disciples. He stood alone. And as one who stood alone, he is the one who offered his life for not only those who betrayed him, but for those who have sinned against him and his heavenly Father, asking that the Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The reason we are ignorant is because we don't know the love of God. Verse 15, the Apostle John records this conversation. This is Jesus restoring Peter. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you, agape, love me? Do you really love me with the sacrificial love you talked about? Peter knows better than to answer in the same way. So he says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo love you. In other words, I love you as a family member. I love you with all of my heart, but not in the, the other way. Jesus said, feed my lambs. What's underneath that is, do not betray my trust, Simon Peter, as you did before. And you will not because you're going to have my love working in you, not yours. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you agape love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, Jesus changed the word. Simon, son of John, do you phileo love me? It says that Peter was hurt, cut to the heart, because Jesus asked him a third time. But it's also because Jesus said, do you phileo love me? In other words, you realize you do not love me as I love you. And that I would give my life for you. It hurt Peter. Peter had told Jesus that he would lay down his life for him. That if all the other disciples fell away, he would follow Jesus even unto death. That he would give his life as a sacrifice. That he would show forth that agape love. Yet Jesus tells Peter, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. For every time Peter had disowned Jesus, the Lord asks him, Peter, do you love me? Peter's third response is, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter loved Jesus with all the human emotion he was capable of. But that love fell short of the love of God. Peter did not yet understand the love of God. That is why he does not tell Jesus that he agape loves him. But Jesus shows Peter the agape love in restoring the fellowship of one who had betrayed his trust. Restoring the fellowship by forgiving his sins. Forgiving the sins of one who had betrayed him. So that he might be restored in their relationship. 
Think about when a relationship is severed and it's broken. That trust is broken. How easy is it to mend that relationship back together again? How much time does it take for not only the mending to take place, but the healing to take place? Think about offending an eternal God and how much time that would take to mend that broken relationship. And yet through Christ Jesus, through His atoning blood, that relationship is mended and restored and healed so that we are in right relationship with God. That is agape love. That is the love of God. And Jesus lays out the transformation that will take place in Peter's life from phileo love to agape love in the next few verses. 18. I tell you the truth, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted to go. Instead of following me into death, you went the other way. You went where you wanted to go. You wanted to preserve your life. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. John says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. How did Peter die? He was crucified with his arms stretched out. But because he understood the great love of God, he wanted to be crucified upside down instead of being crucified right side up because he understood how great his Savior was and he did not want to be crucified in that same way. The agape love of God was in Peter's life. The reason he died was that he was taking care of the Lord's sheep. He was tending to God's people. And in that process, he was put to death. As God loves us, let us love one another, remembering that our own filial human love cannot stand up under the pressure of this world. There are numerous numerous examples historically that bear this out. Let your heart not be proud, but humble before the Lord and recognize how much you and I need His grace in our lives. Because it's God's love working through us that always protects always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. As God so loves us, let us love one another. Amen. Let's respond to the Word of God by turning in our black folder number 46, reflecting on the depth of God's love towards us. Let's stand to sing how deep the Father's love for us.